Barbecue Chicken, Shaquille O'Neal voice. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RedRockBasketball. We are back with another of the season preview podcasts today. The last two shows have been a little bit of a change of pace. We did the uh, Point Guard Tears with Matt Smith and yesterday I talked about the Basketball Monster Projections asking uh, or answering questions that you may have had about the process or about individual players, but we're back for the start of this week in the season previews, and we've got a stack of season previews coming this week. About 11 or 12 teams are going to be pumped out this week, so you're going to have lots and lots to listen to, but to kick off the week, to kick off the second week of season previews, I am joined by the man who is the host of the Locked on Suns podcast, and that is, of course, Callan Olsen. Callan, how are you? I'm doing well, Josh. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good. Good to speak to you again. Good to have you back on. And this uh, this Phoenix Suns team is, um, I think it's really interesting, especially for fantasy. There are quite a few questions that I have for you, and hopefully you're going to be able to answer those and uh, help the listeners out as well. Because there is a there is a level of confusion with some of the positions on this team, and uh, I'm looking forward to to getting into it. Now, the way that we uh, start all these shows, Callum, we talk about the, the players that the team has acquired, and when you look at the Suns list of additions, it's um it's not really all that mind-blowing. We're talking about two guys who didn't come through the draft uh, who have been signed. Mike James, who played quite well for the Summer League team on a two-way contract, so we're barely going to see him. And then now I'm going to pronounce this guy's name incorrectly, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they signed him recently, Peter Yock. Is it Yock or Jock? I think it's Yock. I think it's Joke, but Joke. I might be wrong too. So okay. I haven't gotten 100% clarity on it either. So let's just both screw it up together. Okay, okay. so we're talking Peter J-O-K is the other guy that they uh, they signed. And they really signed him, um, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, just because of the injuries to both Brandon Knight and uh, Devon Reed. Both uh, both shooting guards are just giving some added depth there in the backcourt, but he's unlikely to see a huge amount of uh, playing time this year, is he? He's most likely going to be an NAC Suns player who they bring up at times when they need extra depth. That's how I see his role playing out. Yeah, look, he's these guys who were added through free agency or signed, they're not going to have an, a big impact on the Suns. You can even look at the guys who left this team. You know, Leandro Barbosa, not signed anywhere. Ronnie Price, not signed anywhere. Like These aren't guys who are going to have any impact. So there's not much point talking about free agency moves because it's all about what's happening internally with this Suns team and, of course, with the NBA draft. And we'll start with the number four pick in the NBA draft, and that is Josh Jackson, who comes across to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Jackson showed a lot in summer league, I thought. His energy was really good. His uh, defensive stuff was, was nice. He looked the part. But Callan, his shooting was horrendous. And we knew that it was going to be horrendous coming into the league. That was his problem at Kansas. But it, it looked really bad. The shots he was taking were really bad. Do you have any hope of him being maybe even close to a below average shooter this season? I can't say that with any confidence. It feels like all these young Suns players, we were talking about them last year, Josh. They all have this main problem with them in terms of you talking about like their fantasy relevance and really their upstanding value. And with Josh, it's obviously a shooting. There's just no faith there that he is going. If he's a below average three-point shooter for his career, that is a good thing. Yep. So for him to do that in his rookie season, that would be a huge positive. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on him 
in terms of fantasy value because he's one of those guys, obviously, who can rack up rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. He's one of those kind of guys. And I think that that's where he can hold some value for people. But at the same time, he's really going to put a dent in your three-point shooting. And he's also going to have nights where he's not as involved because there are two other guys holding the ball all the time. He's got to compete with T.J. Warren for playing time, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. But he's a very interesting guy. But starting with his shooting, I would say that that is something to not look for much out of. Like if he shoots 33%, that's a great turnout for him for year one. Yeah, I can't see him. Honestly, I can't see him getting over 30% from three this year. Like it just looks so bad. His field goal percentage won't be Chris Dunn territory. We won't be talking about Stanley Johnson numbers of 35, 36% from the field because he will take a lot of shots uh, from closer in and that will help anytime he has to pull up for a jumper. It just looks disgusting, and it just isn't going to go in most of those times. And his free throw shooting is poor as well. But as you touched on, he is a very good rebounder. So we can expect decent rebound numbers. He'll get steals. He'll block shots at a pretty decent rate for a guy who I think is going to play some shooting guard this season just with those injuries that we talked about already. He's going to play down. He's not He's not really, in my opinion, Callan, a small forward who's going to be playing up all that much as a power forward. He's not doesn't seem to have... Yeah, for as tall as he looks, which I think is uh, yeah, changed a little bit by the afro, it makes him look taller. He's more of a of a smaller three than a let's play up as a small ball forward. Or do you see him eventually growing into that small ball four role? I think he can play in there at times. Just looking at the looking at the uh, lineups on the court, Watson is he gets a lot of flack, rightfully so, as a coach. But he is a smart guy in terms of looking at matchups and when to put guys out there for a minute or like three minutes or four minutes. So if he sees the right kind of power forward out there that Josh Jackson can exploit and not be taken advantage of, he will do that. And I think Jackson, like you said, his strong rebounding numbers, and he's just one of those FU guys. He plays with such a oh, hard yeah. mentality he's that aggressive. you could play him. You could play him at center, and I wouldn't doubt him because it's just if you doubt Josh Jackson, I think you're going to be wrong most of the time. We just talked about how terrible of a shooter he's going to be, so I guess we're those people already. But with his rebounding, I think that's why he can survive at the four, whereas some people are going to talk about later, like Bender going to the five or even Chris going to the five. You worry about the rebounding. But the good thing is with Jackson, you don't have to worry about that. Oh, that that's this, this team has got some really poor rebounders. Those two guys you mentioned are really below average rebounders. But Jackson is an above average uh, above average guy. And they've also got a lot of guys who are super aggressive on the court. You know, Chris, one of those guys. Devin Booker, one of those guys. There's a fair amount of attitude that's building up on this team, which you know, could be a good thing, could lead to certain on-court you know, explosions or implosions. But there is a, a lot of attitude on this team. Now, I, I don't think... And I could be wrong. I don't think that he will start the season as the starting small forward. I think that that's TJ Warren's job to lose. We, I think, gloss over how good TJ Warren was um, at the start of last season, had his mysterious head injury, and then came on strong, like extremely strong at the end of last season. I think Jackson will be playing backup minutes at the three. He might get some backup at the four, and he'll play some backup at the two, and it's going to be enough for him to get mid to high 20s in minutes especially early on? Or do you think that there is a chance that, that he comes in and, and starts from the get-go over over a TJ Warren? I'm glad you brought up the mentality of the team as a whole and kind of this identity they're getting as these chippy young guys who don't take any crap from anyone because Jackson is that player, and that's really been the entire like mentality, like I said, of the team. And that's where he fits in so well, besides what he gives them defensively as a main defensive option. We're going to talk about Derek Jones Jr. in a minute, but... He showed too much just overall raw skills, more so than just ability defensively. And I think that's where Josh can really help out. TJ Warren's not 
a humongous liability as a defender, but at the same time, he's not going to be a lockdown guy or even just a good defender at this stage. He has improved incrementally every year, but he's still not that great. That's where they can look for Josh Jackson to help out. But I think TJ, he's in year four now, and I think this is the year for him where everything needs to come together because every year for him, there has been something come up. It's a mysterious head injury. It's the foot injury. And then his rookie year was just getting through the rotation as a rookie. Year four, I think this is finally his time to get in and play 28, 32 minutes a game for the entire season and really find his stride. Because like you said, a lot of people that were paying attention outside of Arizona, like yourself, realize this is a guy who averaged 20 points a game, yep. shooting 47% from the field. And I believe it was on like 17 shots a game in the first five or six games of the year. Then he picks up the head injury. Then it takes him a couple of months to get back. But then he's averaging, again, like 18 and 8 in March. And his rebounding numbers were really good as well, I believe. He averaged the second to third most offensive rebounds in his position. So if you're looking for value in terms of fantasy, I would say Warren is the guy to go with over Jackson for sure. But I still think there is value in Jackson as well. General ESPN and Yahoo drafters don't agree with you, Callan. They don't agree with me. They've got Josh Jackson going at pick 108 and TJ Warren going at pick 131 and pick 124. And to me, that is completely flipped. Josh Jackson is definitely be uh, falling victim to the let's overdraft rookies in fantasy situation. There is absolutely no chance that you want him at pick 108. There are still plenty of good players there. You take TJ Warren at 108, whereas he is going at 131 or 124. So to me, those guys, draft position is completely inverse. It should be the other way around and taking Jackson at 108. While you can say, oh yeah, he's a, he's a rookie. Let's see how it pans out. His history has shown us that Rookies just don't perform and generally at a high level, maybe until February, March of their rookie season. And you might get, if you're lucky on a good year, four rookies that find themselves inside the top 100 in fantasy. We might have that this year yeah, with Simmons, Fultz, Ball and Smith. But to be then grabbing another guy at 100 and another guy at 110, like the likelihood of those guys actually finishing the year inside the top 150 is pretty minimal. Whereas Warren, I feel pretty confident about given the numbers he was putting up at the end of last year, they were top 50, top 40 type of numbers. I'm not saying he's necessarily getting back to that, but he should have first crack at it. And if that form continues... He is going to be an interesting guy, especially given that position that where where you can draft him. Now, the other guy that they drafted who is injured now with a uh, with a torn meniscus is Devon Reed out of Florida. He was, I would say that he would have been set to get a, a decent chunk of minutes at the backup shooting guard with Brandon Knight going down. We won't see him until sometime in 2018, and he's not going to have too much of a, of a fantasy outlook. But in just in terms of Reed, what's your take on how the organization views him or, or what you saw from him at Summer League just for, for down the path when Knight, say, eventually gets moved on? Yeah, I was in Vegas with you, and I don't know what your impression was of watching him in person, but when I was watching him, I was just seeing the plays he was making, how he was a half step ahead of everyone. And yes, he was playing in Summer League. Yes, he was a four-year veteran in Miami, so he's going to have an edge up and experience over some of those guys. But I was just watching the plays he was making and watching so much basketball, you realize when guys are just oh, making yeah. the right plays. And to me, I just don't see how he isn't a successful role player in his career. He just checked all the boxes for me when I saw him. And this team really needs a signature shooter. That's something we'll probably get to later. But the only above average three point shooter they have on the team is Jared Dudley. And that's it. And Reed was a guy who shot 39, 40% from Miami in all four years and was going to be that signature shooter for the team on the wing because we just talked about Josh Jackson. TJ Warren, 
shot 40% in that year that he was going really well for him before the foot surgery, but then he rebounded back last year. He didn't rebound back at all, I should say. He shot about 23 24% from three, I believe. And then a shooting guard, Derek Jones Jr., we obviously know about his shooting. Devin Booker, his number should climb. We'll talk about that. But right now, Reed was looking like the guy that was going to be the guy that spots up in the corner and hits the big shots. And then, of course, defensively, he has the athleticism to move and go. I was really impressed by his off-ball defense as well. Whenever you see someone doing really well off the ball defensively, you know everything else is going to add up. And to me, I just saw him becoming a guy that was one of those guys who just like surprise everyone. And then he's all of a sudden he's like second team, all rookie, you know, those types of guys who you're like, Oh, Davon Reed, second team, all rookie. Uh, okay. I guess. And then you watch him play and then you realize why that's the case. I saw him having that type of year. I think it was a really tough thing for him to go down. Same with Brandon Knight, just two couldn't have been wrong, wronger situations for those two guys to get hurt in because of Brandon Knight. Of course, this was the most important year of his career. Now it's going to have to be next year. And Reed, because of that, was looking at playing time right away to prove himself and capitalize on the momentum he built in Vegas. But now he's going to have to wait four to six months. You, you talked about Derek Jones. I, I um, and, and Reed, like watching Reed, I thought that Reed was was ahead of where Derek Jones was. I'm, I'm not really sure I value Derek Jones as anything more than a, a dunk contest sort of guy. Um, and I think that if Reed was healthy, he could very easily have jumped ahead of Jones. Uh, Jones Jr. in the rotation this season, but that's obviously not going to happen now with his uh, with his injury. Um, but yeah, he, he did he did look impressive. The three point shooting is something they need, and when a team has a glaring need and someone can fill that fill that role, that's uh, that's something that you know bodes well for them. I guess getting some level of rotation minutes, but it's, it is a real shame that we're not going to see him have that potential to step into a 15 to 18 minute role this year, which is it could have been a possibility for him in that situation. The other guy they drafted who's uh, Going to be on a uh, on a two way deal. I think it's, he's on a two way deal. Is it Alec Peters? Yep, yep, yep. So he's uh, he was picked with with the or in the fifty in the fifties um, in that two way deal. So we're not going to see a huge amount of him this season either. Um, yeah, look, he might not ever make it as an NBA player, but he was a guy drafted, and, and clearly Reed and Jackson have significantly more potential than those guys. Now we talked about Knight. He's torn his ACL. He's out for the season. Reed is going to be back in two thousand and eighteen at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, Tylee Ulis, who had some off season surgery. You know, played really well down the stretch, took over the starting point guard job, was playing like 40 minutes a night, was taking a shitload of shots. He was missing a lot of them. But how does he look in terms of his injury now? Is he going to be a full go for camp? Is he is he ready to, to step forward um, and, and be that guy who assumes the backup point guard role from day one? He's in the wait-and-see camp. He's also in the wait-and-see camp with Jared Dudley. Those are two guys where the timeline of their injury prognosis adds up to them being back by the start of the regular season but all it takes is one hiccup or all it takes is it being like three months instead of two months and then all of a sudden they're out but Ulis, I think will be back for the regular season Dudley seems like someone they'll take more time with especially trying to get Bender and Chris more time but Ulis is for sure a guy to keep an eye on I would say for this type of format here when we're talking about fantasy because you talked about how much reps he got last year, and I think that's really important for him this year because not many guys have that kind of experience where the notable number you said there, he was playing 40 freaking minutes a game. Oh, yeah. Like He went from being a backup point guard who was playing 12 to 15 minutes. Maybe he's hot. Okay, we'll play him 20 minutes instead of 10. He was starting games and being the primary option on the team and running the team. And to take that and, and condense it back down to this role he's in right now, 
which is going to be that backup point guard position. Maybe he's playing with Bledsoe at times with the two guard troubles that they're going to have. I really like his value, and I think he's someone I wouldn't be scared off by his injury at draft time. And he's someone I would look at in terms of value. Of course, there's also the possibility they shut down Eric Bledsoe again. So I really like Tyler Ulis, and I wouldn't be scared off by his injury in terms of drafting him. In the last 15 games of last season, he played 40 minutes a night. He averaged 16 points at three, three and a half boards, eight and a half assists, and 1.2 steals. But he still was only the 83rd ranked player in fantasy, and that's because he shot under 42% from the field on 16 attempts, which is a huge volume. And he was only a 73% free throw shooter over that time as well, and hit 25% of his threes. And we talked about Josh Jackson. I said, yeah, I don't think he's going to shoot 30% from three. Like, I think people will be shocked to know that Euler shot 26.6% from three last season. I don't think people associate how bad of a three-point shooter he actually was last year. He had a true shooting of, uh, of 47% on the season, which was a really poor numbers. Now, I like Euless. I talked about him a lot at the start of the season. I think I said that he's going to be one of the best backup point guards in the year for 10 to 15 years. A lot of people are thinking, oh, the Suns are just going to trade Bledsoe because they've got their starting point guard in Tyler Euless. Do you think that that is a mentality that's held within the Suns organization? Do you think that he can hold down the starting point guard job or... It was just a situation where let's just see what this guy can do. Hey, we're happy with how he runs things. But his role, much like Yogi Ferrell in Dallas, is going to be as a an upper echelon, top-class backup point guard. Yeah, it's let's just see what he can do. There were obvious restraints to him that they had to like put on when he was starting. Derek Jones Jr. was starting with that team at times, yeah. and he was picking up the point guard. He was doing the defensive responsibilities that Ulysses is going to have to do at some points. Now, of course, him being a backup playing against other backups, it's going to be easier for him to do his job defensively. And Ulysses, don't get me wrong, in a flat environment where he's facing other guys his size or even guys that are below like 6'3", he can hold his own as a defender. He's a really good defender. He's super aggressive, just gets all over you. He's a pest. But when he's facing Russell Westbrook, John Wall, all those guys, no chance, zero. He's going to get melted every single time. And that's where the trouble begins when you start talking about him as a starter because everyone loves Tyler Eulis. You love Tyler Eulis. I love Tyler Eulis. Everyone listening loves Tyler Eulis. But there is a cap on his ceiling because of his size. And I think his three-point shooting, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that number was so low because his legs were gone. I think he was just exhausted playing all those minutes all the time and just going from such a rapid rise. Not only is he in his first NBA season, and it's toward the end of his first NBA season when his minutes are going up to 40 minutes a game. So I expect his three-point shooting to actually be somewhere around 33 to 35%, maybe even towards the average mark around 36 or 37. I think he's actually a decent shooter. He's done well in the mid-range areas too. Those are numbers as well that went way down because of the amount of shots that he was taking, like you said. But as far as him becoming the starter, we've seen Earl Watson do this a lot. You'll remember two years ago when Alex Len was becoming the primary option out of nowhere for like a month. This is things that he will do. He'll insert Marquise Chris into the starting lineup less than 10 games into the season him and uh, the GM, Ryan McDonough, are not afraid to make moves like that for the sake of just development and just handing Ulyss the keys and letting Bledsoe rest when he wasn't necessarily injured but just has really worn down knees. Uh, is the type of move you'll see, but again, I couldn't be higher on Tyler Ulyss, and I think he has some relevance for sure. 
he's a guy that you know, I wouldn't recommend drafting in any standard fantasy formats. But once we head to that February All-Star break, he's going to be a really interesting or even yeah, go mid-January. Pick him up and ride it out for two weeks. Because if the Suns decide after coming out of the All-Star break that, you know what, we're just not going to play Eric Bledsoe again for two months, then Eulis is going to come in and he's going to play big minutes. And even this year, I think you'll see some more Eulis-Bledsoe backcourt combinations just because of the injuries tonight and because of the injuries to yeah. read and play Bledsoe off the ball. And you'll see that you know, quite a bit this season, which will move him from being a guy that's a, an 18-minute or 17-minute a night back up to being a guy that's maybe a 20-minute or a 21-minute, which is going to have use in those deeper formats. But those huge numbers we saw at the end of last season, they're not translating for a full year. He is going to get cooked when he plays against the, the good point guards. And he'll be this guy that can you know, swing leagues at the end of the season if the Suns to decide to go that route with Bledsoe again. Let's let's start with, well, let's go to Bledsoe now. Like He was pissed that the Suns decided not to play him at the end of last season, and rightfully so. I was pissed. Fantasy owners were pissed. I think that anyone who's not a, a Suns fan wouldn't have liked the optics of let's just sit our best player for two two months at the end of the season. I don't think anybody liked that. I don't think the NBA liked that. But do you think that the Suns are just going to be... Like, they're not going to be good. So do you think they're going to be in that mindset again of, all right, Bledsoe's just not going to play again for the last two months of the year? It it depends. I'd really like having these conversations with you, Josh, because you're watching the box scores every night and watching the games every night and monitoring these things closely. So I'm sure you were noticing the nights where Bledsoe was playing like 40 to 42 minutes on back-to-backs, like he was just playing 40 minutes in Toronto. Then they would fly to Portland the next night, and he would play 42 minutes there. He's had three major knee surgeries at his age, and with the type of physical style that he plays close to the rim and everything, and with the way that he has he has worn down over the past couple of years. His defensive ability – remember how good of a defender Eric Bledsoe used to be? He yeah. was a guy where we were talking like – does he deserve some all defense votes? Like if he's going to keep this up next year after the 48 win season that they had. And then that sort of just fell off because I think he just couldn't do it on both ends anymore. And I think the Suns made the right decision all around. I'm going to defend the decision just because Watson was playing him so many minutes and they were flat out trying to win as many games as possible during those stretches. And they did not play it safely. There were certain stretches where Bledsoe was out there for like five or six extra minutes where people were, on Suns Twitter, we're tweeting, and they're like, why is Bledsoe still out there? This game is over. They're down 12 with six minutes left or whatever. It's like, just put Euless in. These games don't matter for us this year. Let him go. They were time after time he was out there with that. But people were pissed, Josh, because Bledsoe's excellent. And he had arguably, not arguably, it was the best month of his career in January. He averaged 24 points a game, eight assists a game, five rebounds, a steal and a half. He only shot 43%, but it's because he was taken. 17 shots a game and he shot 37 percent from three as well we've always seen him be an average three-point shooter when he's on and that is the type of not near all-star that is the all-star Eric Bledsoe and I think we could see that for all of this season I think he's playing his top top basketball Zach Lowe wrote a really in-depth feature on him talking about how he's just a top eight ten point guard right now in the league when he's playing like this And I think we could get that for the rest of the season but if we're at 65 games in the season again, Josh, and he's been playing high minutes. It's a problem. It's a problem, and he's got to sit, especially when you have someone like Tyler Eulis who could use the reps, especially when you're bringing back Davon Reed who could use more minutes, especially when you're trying to still get Derek Jones Jr., Josh Jackson, Bender, and Chris. Are you playing Bender at the three? Now Now Jones needs to play somewhere. Is he going to play at the two? Where does Davon Reed play? Does he play some one? Like that's 
That's the type of stuff that is going to happen down towards the end of the season. And they want to preserve him and most importantly, preserve his trade value because as everyone saw with the Kyrie Irving talks, like he is, he holds high value in this league. And at the end of the day, I think they are going to move him to a team. I don't think that'll come this year unless they get the perfect offer, but he holds value because of he's just really good. He People forget that he is the best player. Uh, on this team and and will be likely for the next couple of years if he remains on this team. Now, one thing you said, like it was the right decision in your opinion to to shut him down, but it was the right decision brought on by many wrong decisions beforehand by playing him forty minutes in you know, consecutive nights and playing him big minutes in in blowout situations. So, you know, there might have been that wear down happening, but it was brought on. It was self inflicted by what Earl Watson was doing in terms of playing those minutes. So I, I love hanging shit on Earl Watson, and I'll continue to do so because he makes a lot of baffling decisions. So Feel free. he's he just he to me is the worst coach in the NBA, and you know, the, the decisions that he makes you know, that those decisions to overplay Bledsoe in those meaningless situations enable this situation where then he didn't play for two months, which again just looks horrible for him. It really pissed Bledsoe off. He wasn't happy with it. You're alienating your best player. Um, I guess it, it doesn't bode well for the Suns organization. Yeah, Bledsoe obviously has high-powered friends and agents and all those sort of things. It's, it's not a great uh, not a great look for an organization to, to be doing that, but we'll see how that works. Now, for me, Bledsoe in a rotisserie league, where you don't have the head, the playoffs like a head-to-head league. You know, drafting Bledsoe, he could be a top twenty player, but you know, taking him in the early third round is totally fine. In a head-to-head league, I would let him slide. Him and Isaiah Thomas are going to be two point guards that go in that range, and I'm, I'll just let someone else take them because I don't know if we're going to have Isaiah Thomas for the first forty games of the season. I don't know if we're going to have Eric Bledsoe for the last twenty-five games of the season, and that that's really you know key. If he falls to the forties or fifties, and then I'll take that risk on it and go, you know what, this is worth it because if he does play the season out. I'm talking about a top 25 guy, but the risk is significant there with Bledsoe and that rest because, again, this Suns team's not going to be good. They're not going to be competing for playoff spots or anything like that. Callan, Alex Len, he's still unsigned like so many of these restricted free agents. We just assume that he will either come back on a on a cheap deal or the qualifying offer. Let's assume that Alex Len is coming back unless you've got information to the contrary. Where does he fit in this uh, in this center rotation? They brought back Alan Williams, big source on his restricted free agent uh, contract. He's back. Tyson Chandler, who like Bledsoe, we didn't see in action for the second half of the season. He is back in the mix. Where does Len fit? And you know, in in addition to that, how do these other centers work in around him? It's not the most important question, but I think it's the most it's the most unknown question you could ask in terms of what's the center rotation going to look like this year. Because there were times Alex Len, of course, Chandler was sitting out. Len would play for four or five minutes. You were watching those games, and he would he would look bad because that's what Alex Len was looking like last year. He was looking bad the whole time. Earl Watson wasn't going to play him for like eight or nine minutes and let him sort it out. No, he was gone. Sauce was in before the six-minute mark, and then Sauce would play like 13, 14 straight minutes and play well because that's what Big Sauce does. And then he he was getting outplayed consistently by Williams. It was not a situation where we talk about the Suns letting guys develop and letting them play through their poor play. It was like, no, we have this other young guy in Big Sauce, Alan Williams, who can develop still. He's a little bit older, but he still is relatively new to the NBA, and we need to get him minutes as well. So if you're not going to play well, and this guy's going to continue to play well over and over again and outplay you over and over again, we're going to play him ahead of you. So... If I was to choose one to draft between Len or Williams, I would absolutely choose Williams for sure. I could see Len actually even starting, though, because Chandler is on the back end of his contract now. 
you could look for him to kind of get a decrease in minutes instead of just sitting him for like the last 25 games of the year like they did last year, whatever the number was. They could now instead look to just give him 20 to 25 minutes a game. Maybe he does start and Len plays more minutes or Sauce does. But it just really depends on what they're – the contract is another important thing. If he signs for like a two- or three-year deal, that's a sign of confidence that they want to really give him another chance to develop. But I thought Alex Len was going to be something, and he is not that – and I'm not even sure that he is going to be successful in Phoenix. It, it might take a – I think it's going to change, take a change of scenery for him to become successful somewhere else. And I don't think he's a guy that really should have any fantasy relevance uh, really at all. He was getting outplayed by Williams down the stretch, but Earl Watson continued to start him um, every single game. And there was this weird stretch where even though Williams was playing well that – uh, Watson just started limiting his minutes and playing him 15 a night and 18 a night. Like there was a stretch here in March where he played 15, 18, 16, and seven minutes. And that seven minutes was, that's a, that's a different story. But there was this, he just wouldn't play him the minutes. And then he got back up and played 25, 26 in those last couple. So yeah, I would have Williams ahead of Len. I've been a, a decent Alex Len fan, but he just struggled. He struggled with, with the way that he's been coached at times. Yeah, playing at power forward never helped him. And it felt like he's, shot selection and his efficiency never really recovered from that little stretch where he played with Tyson Chandler uh, as the power forward in the uh, the end of the 2015-16 season. It just feels like he never sort of worked out what he was doing after that. So yeah, I'm not really interested in, in Len here. The Tyson Chandler situation, you would have to think that they reduce his minutes. He played 28 minutes a night in the games that he played last year. I cannot see that happening this year. And Williams, while you know, he had, it was a double-double guy, he was getting double-doubles consistently, He's just not going to see 29 minutes a night either, I don't think. So to me, that's a whole, yeah. just a whole mess. And none of those centers are draftable in fantasy leagues. Williams will be a great streaming guy. You want some rebounds and some high field goal percentage. Chandler can be that guy as well. And Len, we're going to leave for the, for the deeper reaches of, uh, of fantasy leaguedom. But he's, uh, to me, he's currently the, the third string guy on, on this. Yeah, tr- Josh, this uh, one more point on Len. I know there are some people listening who still believe in him and still believe in the guy that he was out of the draft. Uh, I wrote a piece for ArizonaSports.com on his contract year that he had last season. I looked at all the numbers. I watched every game that he played. All of the analytics together, basically what I got, the offense was terrible when he was on the floor. They had a terrible offensive rating, a terrible defensive rating when he was on the floor. He was not efficient at all. He didn't set up his teammates. He had one of the lowest assist rates when it came to centers. He didn't take care of the ball well at all. He had one of the lowest turnover, like he had one of the worst turnover rates. And then he was one of the worst players percentage-wise when it came to scoring from the post. He protected the rim okay. He was an okay rebounder, but he was outperformed there by Williams as well. So I know some people are still clamoring to the potential that Len had coming out of the draft. He's not that player. So I'm being your friend here, everyone listening. Just just give up. It's, yep, I'm, it, I'm done it's with gonna you. happen. It might happen in somewhere else. Maybe he goes like we were thinking like Dallas or Brooklyn were possibilities in the offseason. Now it's going to be like next offseason. We'll see where he lands. Then maybe you can talk me into like looking at him as someone to take in a really deep league and hold on to him and see what he turns into in an elevated role or something. But you should be done like Josh. It's it's a done thing. Yep. Um, Dragon Bender. Bite my shiny metal ass. Um, struggled last season, had the ankle injury, and then uh, and then came back and it looked okay. I, I am a huge believer in Bender. 
Um, but how do we see his role? There, I, I think that Bender is still the. I know this is a division amongst Phoenix fans. I see Bender as the better prospect over Marquise Chris, but I also understand that Marquise Chris is going to play significantly more minutes than him this season. Where do we see Dragon Bender this season? Will you said he play the three? Will he play the four? Will he play some at the five? His role it's certain to increase this year over what we saw last year, isn't it? Yeah, the problem with Len coming back now is that. We were looking at the center situation. Should they bring back Len or Saw? Should they bring back both? I was completely against bringing back both because I think Chris and Bender need to play some minutes at center like every night. One of them needs to and for the sake of them getting minutes. And I think that when you draft both of them, I don't think that was the situation when they drafted both of them and said, we're just going to see which one is better and then the other one's going to be the backup. That's not how you spend top 10 picks. You got to remember, Chris was eighth and they traded up to get him. I don't know if you've been watching Eurobasket, Josh, but Bogdan Bogdanovich has been a killer. Oh, been good. Yeah. The Suns know he's – they knew he was good when they traded him, but they traded him to move up to get Chris. They made this move to play them together, and if they bring back Len, you can't play them together at least for another year because you've got to get those two, two of those centers at least some playing time, and it's going to be tough to figure it out. Chris came into Summer League, and he looked much bigger. He looks like the guy who was poised to make the jump to center – over Bender currently, which is a mistake. Bender should be the guy playing center. I think you and I both know that. Yep. But Chris put on a lot of weight. He looked huge. He, looked, he was he was, uh, he was thick, as the as the kids say. Yeah, he was ripped. He wasn't out of shape, by the way. He was just massive, and it was it was so stunning for me personally because uh, I've been around him all the time, obviously following the team and just seeing him in person that big uh, was something. And it was it took away his quickness a bit, which was concerning. But as far as Bender goes, I think the story here is that Chris is the guy for the Suns right now. He is the guy for Earl Watson specifically. I think Watson really loves Marquise Chris. I think everyone knows that. And Bender just has to find a way to contribute somehow. It's going to be a really tough thing for him going right now. If you've been watching Eurobasket, he's trying to basically do the same thing for Croatia where his coach is just throwing him out there for two or three minutes and Bender's not really doing anything because he's not touching the ball. He's doing his job defensively. He's grabbing a rebound here or there. But other than that, he's not really doing anything. And then he gets called invisible or whatever. But at the same time, he's not being asked to do anything because he's playing with Dario Saric and Bogdanovich. He's not touching the ball. That's the same kind of thing he could go through with the Suns. But to give Earl Watson credit, he did get him involved much more than Croatia has to this point. Where does he play is the big question. I think if he gets consistent minutes at the four, if he plays – even if it's just 10 to 15 minutes, not even like 20 plus, if he just gets 10 to 15 minutes at the four, I think he is going to have a much, much better year. And we're talking about just growth. And then in year three, I think that's where he really becomes a guy who becomes someone to keep an eye on in fantasy. But for those of the, for those of you in a keeper league wondering if you should hold on to him, if you, if you had him last year, you were basically buying in on him at that point. So you have to hold him until it's clear that he's not going to be what he's not going to be. And I think he still showed what he is to me. But again, just keep an eye on where his minutes are at. He played, I believe, 30% of his minutes at small forward. Amino Hassan uh, tweeted this in like November. He said he is just a normal player when he's playing small forward, but he is something special when you play him at power forward and center. And to me, that's the entire antithesis of what Bender is as a basketball player. 
Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. Right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010. Select styles only. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I still really, really do believe in him as a prospect, but it's, just, it's not going to happen stat-wise or fantasy-wise for him this year, but he's a guy that's a, a three-point shooter that can hit the threes, that can block some shots, that can yeah, get more uh, more passing done and get more assists than what you might imagine. So he's someone to watch, but the minutes aren't going to be there because, as you said, Earl Watson loves Marquise Chris, and the only thing that kept Marquise Chris from being a 30-minute-a-night guy last year were fouls, um, and I think that hopefully, and I'm not, uh, I'm not actually confident on this, but... I am hopeful that maybe he is less of a dickhead this season and commits <laughs> commits less stupid fouls, commits less technicals, gets into fewer punch ons on the court because he is. Were you uh, were you watching the games in Vegas? The first three, what, him, him and uh, Papianas. Was, what's, what's going on with those guys? Like he was. He, I, know, I know Bender and Papianas have the problem, but he was just getting stuck into everybody every game. If anyone tries to play like like Marquise Chris does against him, he gets like personally offended yeah. and just come to him. Papa G doesn't take anything from anyone. The, the Papa, Papa John is ruthless. Pa- Papianas so, like, Bender. The Papianas Bender rivalry is the funniest, most odd rivalry. And I understand it comes from like Papianas's dad and, and all family history back in Europe, but it is a, a hilarious rivalry. And every time they play, there's always something happening with the, with the sons and the Kings. And it's going to continue to happen. Maybe if Papianas can actually become a rotation player, it's going to be funner. But yeah, Chris is just, Dumb fouls, just stupid stuff, just texts and ejections, and that's what's going to lead to a problem. Now, I I don't believe that Marquise Chris is going to be a great player, uh, but I do believe that he's going to be a starter this year, and he's going to play as many minutes as he can stay on the court for, and that means he's going to put up fantasy stats because he puts up good numbers. He is a triple one sort of guy. Yeah, he's a piss poor rebounder, but he can score, he blocks shots, he gets steals. The field goal efficiency is, is not too bad, and he's going to get that opportunity. So he is one of the, the best steals, especially on Yahoo, where he's getting drafted at 122. I think he's a lock for the top 100 just based on oh, that, yeah. but not not to me based on how I think he's going to develop as a prospect. So again, I think Bender will be better in time, but it doesn't matter for this year because if Earl Watson believes that, and Earl Watson's not also going to be the coach for the, the, the career of both of these guys, Chris is going to be out there. He's going to put up these numbers when he's out there. To me, he reminds me, he's probably better, but he reminds me of a big man version of Tony Roden, a guy that goes out there, puts up stats, but really isn't a fantastic player. And again, he is better than that, but the minutes are going to be there. The role's going to be there. The stats are going to be there. Like, what more can you ask for in a fantasy situation? So he is getting underdrafted. Am I being harsh on Chris in terms of my overall valuing of his basketball ability? I just feel like he doesn't even know where he should be half the time. No, he got billed like that, rightfully so, because of his play at Washington and how much limited experience he has. But everyone that watched him that had serious basketball experience, including my co-host on the podcast, Eddie House, was just like, this guy has it. And I wasn't seeing it, but for some reason, like just like the way that he plays or whatever it was, people were identifying something with him. And as we got closer to the end of the season, February, March, April, there were signature aspects of his game starting to come out because my biggest problem with him as a prospect, what besides his like awareness and everything, was I just didn't understand what he was supposed to be. Like Tony Roden's a good example. Like, what is Tony Roden as a point guard? You know what I mean? I don't know exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And with Chris, I don't it's think like he knows what he's he, supposed to be doing. 
<laughs> is he a scorer? Is he a rebounder tough guy? Is he like a rim protector? Is he energy guy with dunks and stuff? Like I didn't really understand what his role was. But when we got towards the end of the year, he was having these games where he would pick up four or five blocks. He was becoming a legitimate yeah. weak side shot blocker in some of these games. He was hitting three or four threes in a row. He was taking a dribble or two and pulling up. Like those are things that were becoming an aspect of his game. So if we wouldn't have had Summer League, and, and anyone who has listened to my podcast or follows me on Twitter knows that I tend to overreact to Summer League more than anyone. But before Summer League, I would have made the case that like he's going to have a big breakout year because it looked like the immature, there's no other really word for it, the immature aspects of his game appeared to be gone. Then we went to Vegas, and he was the most immature player I saw no, out of every yeah. every player we saw. Definitely. He looked at the coaches, he looked at Earl Watson, he looked at his teammates befuddled at least 15 times, and at some point, he's not, like, it. they're not the problem. It's it's you are the problem. You're the one not understanding what's going on. Like, he looked like he would kept, like, blaming his teammates for being in the wrong spots, or, like, what is that guy doing? And it's like, dude, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, that, that's been the experience of watching him over the past A2 games, and it was really just frustrating to see that player come out of him, and that's why I'm being a bit harsh on him here than I normally am with just really any other player because we saw the potential that he had in the last few months and for this type of player to come back out the one that got whatever it was 12 or 13 technical fouls he was the first rookie to pick up double digit technical fouls since DeMarcus Cousins <laughs> if you want any more backup here on him being this hothead um, but that type of player that he is is also an asset he has this edge to him that is undeniable. He plays really hard. I think that was the thing that didn't come through watching him at Washington was how hard he plays. And I saw him in the preseason and I was like, whoa, this guy has some juice to him. He really gets going. And that's the thing that's going to propel him and I think make him a good NBA player. And I'm still going to bet on him being a good NBA player. I don't know how great he is going to be, but a lot of people, maybe you, Josh, believe that he's going to wind up being a bust in a couple of years. I actually think he's going to be a productive, fine NBA player once he figures out what he is. But like you said, he is going to have a lot of time to figure out how because he's going to get a ton of minutes. He's going to get a ton of shots. He's going to be all over the place picking up blocks, steals, rebounds. And if you're thinking about taking him at a certain round, take him around higher, in my opinion, because yeah. I think there's also a chance that that play at the end of the year comes together for the entire season. And we're looking at a guy who averages like 16 points and eight rebounds and picks up like a block and a half and shoots 36 percent from three like that could happen at any point with his potential. No one's ever averaged one and a half steals, blocks, and threes per game. Um, Josh Richardson did it for about two months last season, but no one's done it for the course of a season. And Chris legitimately could be like a 1.3 steals, threes, and blocks type of guy. So that's the fantasy potential. So I do love it. I don't think he's going to be a bust. I just don't think he's going to ever develop into a a star. And eventually, I think Bender will overtake him. But he does have his role on this team. Now, Callum, people have listened to this show for 40 minutes so far already. And there's one player that I'm sure they're waiting to hear about that they haven't heard about. And that's Devin Booker. And I'm not sure. I know you cover the Suns. I know you... Um, you host a Locked On Suns podcast, but I'm not sure, Callan, if you're aware that Devin Booker scored 70 points in a game and he was only 20 years old. That's something that not many people know. But Do you have did, a date on that? I it, it, did hap- it did happen last year. It, okay. it did happen last season. Um, not many people know that he was also only 20 years old at that point. So just getting those facts that don't get repeated ever uh, out there. I would check else. his birthday. I'm not sure on that, actually. I need I need proof. So all, uh, all attempted jokes aside, Devin Booker's a guy that, there's a lot of split opinion on him. Um, 
there's the the people who are yay points and like hey he's scoring 23 points a game as a 20 year old like that that is fantastic and and he does that and he does that well he also does it very inefficiently and then there's reasons okay his teammates are bad he's taking poor shots and that's 50 percent blame on him 50 percent blame on, on other things his defense is woeful which is pretty much all on him but where do we see Booker now heading into his third season where plenty of players take a step forward? What is he taking a step forward this season? Is it efficiency? Is it shot selection? Is it defense? Is it ball handling? Where where does he go from here? Because that's going to be key to see his fantasy value. For as good as he is and scoring as many points as he does, his efficiency and his lack of stats in the other areas do keep him from being... Yeah, it has kept him from being a top 70, top 50 sort of guy. And he's going inside the top 50 in drafts this year. So he's going to need to take a step forward in some area. What's it going to be? I think the dark horse is going to be assists. Uh, he did just some flat-out point guard stuff at the end of his rookie year yep. where he was just showing some ball handling, especially in the pick and roll. And not only ball handling in the pick and roll, but decision-making in the pick and roll. He was finding guys, setting up guys. Him and Alex Len had a nice little one-two thing going. I'm sure you, as someone who was hoping for anything with Alex Len, was watching and seeing Booker set him up a few times at that season. And then he comes in a year two, and it's like, hey, you're not 20 years old yet, but you are going to be the number one offensive option for us. So he has to go out there, and he does average 23 points a game. But he had so much responsibility as the focal offensive point that he couldn't really – average out and even out his game he just didn't really have the chance to instead he was just scoring 70 points here or there and I think assists is somewhere where I can see him at his apex being a guy that averages seven to nine assists a game I really do see him in so that's James Harden territory as a, as a shooting yeah, guard yeah the really like the really light James Harden comparison like Harden's vision is really special and I don't think Booker has that but I just think that he has enough passing and enough ball handling and enough feel of the game where he could eventually become that guy where maybe not James Harden's numbers and certainly like in terms of efficiency like of course Harden was like off the charts last year in terms of like the numbers were uh, evened out a bit because of how much responsibility he had on the team but I think it's one of those things for him where if he just even climbs to like five assists a game this year that's really a sign that it's going to continue to grow and come and I think at the very least he's a guy that can average like four to five assists a game. Definitely not a guy like TJ Warren where he's only going to average like one or two a game. And then efficiency, his shooting, obviously. When he came out of the draft, the one thing we knew about this kid is that he could shoot and he had a beautiful three-point stroke. And so far, it just hasn't turned into anything in the league. But if you look across the years, guys like Kevin Durant, guys like J.J. Redick, their first year or two in the league, their numbers weren't that great from three-point land because they were figuring out everything else. But once everything like that comes together – now you can start to get back to the basics with your shot. And I think it wouldn't surprise anyone to see him shoot just 40% from three this year. Uh, with Bledsoe the entire year, with Josh Jackson in the mix as well, with a healthy TJ Warren, that's less offensive responsibility for him to hold. And I think that's where he can even out the rest of his game. So the debate, I trust me, I've been at the forefront of the debate many times in terms of how good of a player is he really. But I believe that there is an aspect of that debate we really haven't gotten into yet because of the whole 70 points thing is that he has some balance to his game that he just didn't get to show in his second year that a lot of people forgot about after his rookie year. And I think that's where if you're drafting him that high, you're going to you better hope that that comes uh, because you need something else, like you said. Now, as I, I talk about in this podcast all the time about you know, ignoring ranks necessarily, but this is something that, that's important. Um, he 
in based on the projections that I've got him at, which is almost 24 points a game, you know, two threes, four assists, which are decent numbers, and but he's got the field goal percentage issue. But he comes in ranked as 57th. Now, on Yahoo and ESPN, he's getting drafted at 44 and 43. But the fact that he can score 23 points, and you feel like he'll score 23 points a game, no problem, and it could go to 25 points per game. I stress this all the time. Getting points in fantasy drafts is impossible. Once you head outside the top 50, the points just aren't going to be there. So while... The ranking looks like he's 57th, or he does say he's 57th, and he's getting drafted at 44, so you go, oh, maybe that's a bust situation. Maybe you don't want to draft him there. The fact that he is going to get you points at such a large amount means that taking him at that spot is totally fine because all your high point scorers, all your 20-point scorers, maybe with the exception of Andrew Wiggins, are going to be off the board. So taking him at that spot is totally fine to me. Plus, if the efficiency goes up now, in the last month of last season, he was a guy that you were losing the field goal percentage category every single week if you had him because he was shooting <laughs> like 36% yeah. on about 25 attempts or something ridiculous like that. It was just destroying you. But if he gets to 44%, if he goes Harden or DeRozan and gets to 45%, then you are talking a legitimate top 40 guy with 25 points a game that yeah probably elevates his value even a little bit further. So while I do come across as a Devin Booker hater and people have told me that, it's I'm, I don't hate him at all. I think he's a good player. I think he can be a really great player. It's just that people will come to me with, and you probably hear it all the time, they you know, compare him to Clay Thompson. He's not Clay Thompson. Yeah, he looks like him, but that's got nothing to do with it. Clay Thompson came in as a 40% three-point shooter. Devin Booker has not been a good shooter. Like He has not shown us that he is a good shooter at all. Some of that's bad shot selection. Some of it's just shots not going in. And maybe he becomes that shooter, but he never has been. And that's what I was, when I always talk about Booker, I always talk about things like that. Like, yeah, you might say he's going to be a good shooter, but he hasn't shown us that he is at any stage through his NBA career just yet. But if that comes around and there's a huge chance it does, then we're talking about a significant elevation. So that's why you know I talk about him and I do pump the brakes because people are just very quick to assign skills that aren't there, um, even though they they may come. So that that's my take on on Booker and, and drafting him at that pick in the fourth round. Totally fine because again, you're not getting points in any other any other area or from many other guys who are going to be available after that spot, especially not at that sort of bulk. And then he can add those four assists, maybe get to a steal a game, maybe hit two threes, which is all super valuable as well. But his on court play needs uh needs a defense to take a step forward as well. Now Callan, who's your breakout candidate on this team? And you can phrase that whichever way you want. Uh, I think it's TJ, obviously. Uh, TJ Warren, I think, is the guy for sure. Maybe in our circles, it's a little bit more obvious just looking at those numbers. But a lot of people miss those two significant times in the season that we talked about where he was averaging 20 points a game, shooting 47%. You were just talking about the percentage numbers with Booker. I mean, how rare is it to see a guy average 15 points a game and shoot at least 45%? And this was a guy who was averaging 20 and shooting 47%. And I don't know if the... Scoring is going to be around like 20. I think it's going to be closer to like 12 to 15. But with him, you're going to get him shooting at least 45%, probably closer to 50%. And you're going to get some really good rebounding numbers because he was the one guy on the team at the end of last year. Yes, they were a horrible team at the end of last year. They were really bad. They needed someone to rebound. This is not a good rebounding team. They need someone to rebound. He was the guy who stepped up and tried his best to rebound. And like I said, the rebounding numbers are really good for him. And we talked about it flipping uh, Jackson and Warren's value. I think for sure Warren is a guy that could really, if everything goes right for him, maybe Josh Jackson is the backup shooting guard as well. Maybe yep. that's where the extra minutes come in for TJ Warren. I think the the Knight and Reed injuries are obviously awful, but it's good news in terms of looking at 
drafting TJ Warren or Josh Jackson because that's another place for them to play. TJ can also play some four. He's played a lot of four, in fact, under Earl Watson, and maybe that's where he can get some minutes as well. I just think he's going to be a guy who plays at least 28 minutes a game. He's going to give you 14, 15 points a game, give you seven rebounds a game, shoot 47%. I think that that's where I would guess his line to be at for the year. And that's pretty good value for where you were saying he was ranked. You, you talk about his field goal percentage. I think you're underselling him a bit. His first season, he shot 53% from the field. His second season, yeah. he shot 50%. Last year, he shot 50%. He, he's a guy that is giving incredible value for that small forward position. And after the All-Star break, he was the 35th ranked player. And not again, I facetiously said not many people would know that Devin Booker scored 70 points at the age of 20. Not, not many people know that TJ Warren was the 35th ranked player because he averaged 16.5 points, 7 boards, 1.2 steals, and he shot 56% from the field, which is just a bonkers number. It is crazy. He had a true shooting of 60%. That is, true. when you get to true shooting of 60, that's LeBron, that's Kevin Durant, that's James Harden, that's those perimeter guys. Those numbers are out of control. And he only took 12.7 attempts per game. But you go to the last month of the season, he was taking 15 shots a game, 19 and seven and a half on true shooting of 59%. So the attempts went up. The efficiency didn't dip really. He was the 25th ranked player over the last month of the season. This is how good he actually was. And yes, he was playing 36 minutes a night, which is probably going to be hard for him to achieve this year. But he is being considerably slept on. For a guy to be the 35th ranked guy after the All-Star break to be drafted to pick 130 because people think that Josh Jackson is just waltzing in and taking 35 minutes off him and reducing him to a 20-minute role is, is crazy. He was unbelievably good for this team at the end of last season. His efficiency is something you don't get from small forwards who score. Um, yeah, he won't hit threes, but I, I don't care when he's getting me you know, rebounds and points and that huge field, field goal percentage. And he, he's you know, shot blocking over the last month of the season. He blocked a shot a game as well. He was at 1.6 deals and one block. The numbers yep. were out of control. And yeah, he is really good and he is being totally underrated in my opinion. And that's where I look at you know, value fantasy guys. He is one of those. The other one of those is Chris who's going at 122 in Yahoo, which is which is very low, in my opinion. On the flip side, we look at uh, bust guys. Tyson Chandler getting drafted at 137. I don't know what you're doing, what picking him there. That's just a waste. He might be the 137th ranked player, but there is literally no upside there, and it is all downside for Tyson Chandler. Great to stream in if you need a field goal percentage boost. Great if you want some rebounds for a short time, but nah. Josh Jackson at 108, already talked about that, and I talked about the Devin Booker at 44, 43, which might look like a bust on the surface or you know something where you don't want to take that height, but that scoring is uh, is important. Now, just to wrap things up here, Callan, over-under in Vegas is 28.5 for this team. ESPN's Kevin Pelton has this team projected for 30.3 wins, so he goes the over. Do you take the over on 28.5? I take the under. Uh, I think this team is going to be brutal this year. I think it's going to be a really tough year. It might be even tougher than last year. We talked about the wing rotation. We talked about the forwards. How many guys did we mention with more than four years of NBA experience or the average NBA? Yeah, the average NBA experience, if we take out Jared Dudley at three of their positions is like one and a half years, two years. It's brutal. They're just like they are going to get clobbered a lot of nights just because their defense was bad last year and we talked about but you talked about Booker's defense being so bad um Josh Jackson's still a rookie at the end of the day he's not going to come in and fix this defense he's not even going to come in I think and be a good defender from the jump I think that's just too much to expect from any rookie player and Bender the same kind of thing it's it's only year two for him Chris was terrible last year he's probably not going to be that good this year again they are going to get smoked in a lot of games. I think that they are going to be around uh, 26, 27 wins. But if Booker makes that huge jump and Bledsoe plays like he did in January all year, then 
Maybe they win 30, maybe they win 32, 33, but uh, I think the safe bet is the under for now. Yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can totally understand. I think I'd probably take the under on that as well. And um, I think that does it for the Phoenix Suns season preview. Callan, just give us a plug of what you might have coming up on Locked On Suns or any of your writing on and Twitter handle, all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, so anyone more interested in Davon Reed as a potential option, uh, I talked about what his value is for the team and what exactly his injury meant in terms of things we just talked about, like Jackson and Jones moving to the two. That's at Locked On PHX Suns on Twitter. You can find me at Kellen Olson, K E L L A N O L S O N. I'll be covering the Suns all year round for all you Dragon Bender stands out there like me and Josh. Uh, come enjoy the year with us. Definitely go on now, follow Callan and listen to Locked On Suns with Callan and Eddie House. Um, you can uh, you can check that show out and they'll talk about all the... And there's a lot, lot of interest in Phoenix. Despite how bad they'd be, there is still a lot of fantasy interest. Subscribe to this podcast as well on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify and leave us both a five-star review. That would be fantastic. Callan, thank you for coming on once again. Thanks for having me, Josh. Always a good time. Always good to have you on. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Jared Dudley.